I'm here with Jason from Docstock. Uh, Jason is the CEO, and I, I guess we'll find out if he's the, the founder of, of Docstock. I took a quick look at the site um, just before we started talking, and it's a. It looks to me like a site that's doing lead generation through providing free free documents and free templates to people, which is an interesting model I've never heard of. It actually sounds pretty smart. Um, before we talk about Docstock, Jason, why don't you uh, tell us who you are and a little bit about where you've come from before up till now? Sure. So uh, I'm the CEO of DocStock.com. Uh, we just had our one-year birthday on October 30th. And before that, I was finishing up my MBA and law school here at Pepperdine in Southern California, which is by the beach in Malibu. And uh, I'm a serial entrepreneur. This is the third company that I'm on, the first one in the web space. Uh, we're a venture-backed company, so uh, Rustic Canyon, which is a VC firm in Santa Monica, uh, is the venture capital firm behind DocStock. And we also have a lot of great uh, investors from the L.A. community, including one of the co-founders of MySpace, uh, the former CEO of Price Grabber, the founder of Lower My Bills, the co-founding president of MP3.com, uh, and I've just uh, this who is are third. some of the names of those guys? Like, do you have uh, Matt Coffin from Lower My Bills? Yes, it's Matt Coffin from Lower My Bills, Cameron Porzon Johnny from Price Grabber, Robin Richards from MP3.com, Brett Brewer from Intermix, which was the parent company of MySpace, Michael Jones, who sold user plane to AOLs, uh, one of our board members. Uh, so we have a good group of Los Angeles uh, tech folks that are involved with DocSock. Cool. Yeah, and then I'm an L.A. native. So my parents live in the same house that I grew up in that's about a mile and a half away from where I live now. And I went to high school out here, and I went to college in Santa Barbara once again by the beach. So I don't think it's any surprise that uh, I moved DocSock over down by the beach here in uh, Santa Monica right by the promenade. And uh, that's probably... Uh, a good amount about me. Hey, you like a surfer, dude? You know, I'm this uh, 30-year-old like Jewish kid from LA, and I have actually only gone surfing once. So I've I've lived for four years by the beach in Santa Barbara. I lived for four years. Well, I went to school in Malibu for four years. My office is two blocks away from the beach, and I grew up, you know, not more than two miles from the beach. And I hey, when you, dude, you're ruining the stereotype. You should have long hair and be a surfer, dude. I am. I think my days of long hair are over, though. <laughs> I don't think those days are coming back. But you'd like um, to end in an NBA corporate type, have you? No, I'm the farthest from that. I wear, I'm in jeans and a t-shirt at work most days. But um, we do have actually like this big shower in our office that was meant. For people that want to go surfing in the morning and then, you know, just be able to hop in the shower in the office and then uh, start your day at work. So I, I may need to take up surfing just to justify having a shower in the office <laughs> or nice. some other activity, right? <laughs> I won't ask anymore. Okay. Um, so what were the, you, you mentioned you started two other non-internet companies. What were the other ones? Uh, I, the first company, I, well, actually not the first, but the, the first company I started out of college was uh, I was doing motivational speaking and corporate training. So I was both the president and the janitor and, and everything in between. It was just me. And I was a 21-year-old kid with, uh, you know, either too much confidence or arrogance or chutzpah, whatever you want to call it. And I basically just went around the country when I was 21 uh, doing motivational speaking for high school students and college students. And I used to do sales trainings and communication seminars and I spent about two years traveling the country in a different city almost every week or every other week uh, just doing these seminars and presentations. And I did that for about two years, uh, which was a really great experience. After that, 
and went to go work at a startup in Southern California, um, a non-tech startup, and I was the director of marketing and sales there. And then um, in, while I was going through grad school, you know, I spent way too long in higher education considering the fact that I hardly ever went to class and was always working on business-related things. Uh, and so I started a consulting company with one of my classmates there, uh, Michael Sheridan, and we were doing consulting for startups and small businesses in the Los Angeles area, and that's really where I got the idea for DocStock. Um, and I'm interested. You, you, you talked about um, your investors. I'm interested to tell me tell me a little bit about the the LA scene. I know Frank Adante keeps saying like, hey, you know, the valley's the valley's cool and all, but LA's where it's at and it's up and coming and it's it's more fun and all that sort of stuff. What's your opinion of the the LA tech scene? Yeah, I I spend a lot of time in both areas, so I, I make a dedicated effort to make it up to the Bay Area and San Francisco a lot. Um, the, the you know by just the pure numbers, Los Angeles has been, I think, over the last year or two, the fastest growing segment of, of venture investment. It doesn't mean that in, in aggregate the largest amount is here, but it's just growing at the fastest rate. And, and obviously it's, it's easier for us to grow faster down here than the Bay because there's been less of it. Uh, but there's a really burgeoning um, tech community down here. I think it's obviously different than the Bay. I mean, the Bay is all about that tech community and these Web 2.0 sites and it's very much more like a singular niche and community down here. It's a lot more entertainment, a lot more, um, a lot, a lot more mobile focused too. What I will say, I talk about this a lot, and I actually started writing a blog post about it. The 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 um, stereotypical generic difference between LA tech companies and Bay Area companies is that Bay Area companies build these beautiful, amazing, great user experience products but they have their head up their ass when it comes to figuring out how to make money. And companies down here in L.A. Like some of them even have this, like, hippie ethos, like, you can't make money. Yeah, you know, it's very, you know, very, um, you know, Craig Newmark from Craigslist, right? And um, the companies down here in Los Angeles, you know, will build really ugly, crappy, shitty products, but just, man, they make money left and right, you know. And you're probably not going to find any better example, right, like MySpace, like, so many people will complain about that user experience, and you go to sign in on the home page, and you know it's hidden, and there's huge ads around it, and you have to like get a magnifying glass just to figure out how to sign in. But man, those guys are great at building the business and making money and monetizing visits, and you know, so the, the kind of stereotypical difference, and obviously, like it doesn't account for all companies, is that folks down here, you know, are deal makers and hustlers and good at making money and you know, just make that revenue happen, but aren't that product focused and don't know necessarily how to build. Are they though? I mean, obviously, there's, so there's Intermix MySpace, lower my bills were obviously lead gen focused. Um, I don't know that much about Price Grabber and what they did, but I mean, aren't there a lot of fluffy companies in the in the LA area as well? Well, I wouldn't call them fluffy. I would just say what your focus is on, and, and I, I would say in general as as a stereotype, right? And there's reasons stereotypes aren't accurate is what you just find is that a lot of folks down here focus more on money and business and a little bit less on product and user experience. And folks up in the Bay will focus more on product and user experience and getting traffic and reaching a critical mass and a little bit less on, you know, making money. Uh, and I think there's a lot to learn from both, honestly. You know, there's really... Do you, though? You don't think it's just that in the Bay Area they're less concerned about it because they can just get a bunch of, of capital, uh, raise their money, and then... 
um, not have to worry about. I mean, Facebook as an example, so they can just go along and do their thing for a long time and, and then worry about it later if they, if they get to that point or just burn up. I think it's just a matter of the pendulum swings back and forth and there's a time and place for everything. I mean, I think a perfect example is LinkedIn was a company that didn't focus on making money for a long time. I mean, they probably the first two, three years, I don't think that was their focus at all. And they really did establish themselves as the key place for professionals to be online. And they took all that critical mass and they took all that traffic and they took all that user engagement and they added in what I think is a, a brilliant business model, right? And basically the idea that you can con- connect with so many people, but if you want to have access to all these other people, you need to pay. You need to be on a subscription service. Now, yeah, that only still works. Not profitable. What? They're still not profitable. I mean, I don't, as far as I know, they don't share their... Well, I mean, as far as I know, they're not, because they just raised another round, like, you know, within a couple of months. Yeah, I, I would be careful of making the assumption that a company's not profitable because they raised a round. I know a lot of companies that are are very profitable that raise money just because they had the opportunity to or they see it as part of their capitalization strategy going forward. Um, what I can say is uh, what I think that they did really well is that they they became the leader in that market and they got an economy and scale that now lets them grow, right? And so not everyone has that advantage. Like you can't always be the first in the category. And so what I think a lot of times people in the Bay will do is they'll try to, you know, go for a really big home run and be the first in the category and own it and raise a lot of venture capital money, and you can have a really big exit. Now, it's also more risky, and it's certainly a lot more risky in an environment like we're entering into now, and we've seen the last couple months. So I think the lessons that, you know, that you can learn from the L.A.-based companies will probably be really important, right? Like make money at all costs, figure out how to keep your business afloat, be a really good deal maker. I think those kind of like... I'm going to survive and make it at all costs attitude is going to be a really important lesson and skill set to have over the next couple of years. And then the pendulum will swing back and people will have to really start focusing on users and user experience and virality and growth and building great sure, products. I mean, fair point. You know, I just, I, I'm, I'm torn on the issue as an example is Facebook. Um, I, I love using Facebook. I'm a total addict. Um, They've raised $500 million. That's half a billion dollars in money invested in the company. And, and to me at this point, I mean, I, I, don't, I don't like MySpace, um, and I won't deal with all those ads. And high, where I, I live in the Caribbean, and so High Five is, is big here, but that's kind of annoying as well. So Facebook's obviously a lot better, but, man, it, it just seems like they, they could have put a little bit more effort into figuring out some monetization stuff. And they don't have to do aggressive things. It could be just through better use of virtual gifts and things like that. I mean... Their, their virtual gifts, the options that the last time I looked at it was you can buy one for a dollar or you could buy ten for ten dollars. You might get ten for nine dollars or something like that. Um, I mean, there's a, there's a lot more things they could be doing to be selling things to people within Facebook that would fairly easily have enabled them to make more make more revenue and not have to raise half a billion dollars in capital. It seems just like a massive amount. Yeah, I think that's a good point. You know, I, as a product of going to law school for three years, you often hear me, you know, talk about both sides of an issue. And so, you know, please excuse me, that's what I'll do now. But, you know, on the one hand, I, I think that's a very good point. And uh, I think had they been more focused on making revenue from the beginning, I, I wouldn't say they wouldn't or shouldn't have gone out and raised that money. Because like I said, whether or not you're profitable, it's just part of a capitalization strategy going forward, just like profitable companies in the past you know, will we'll raise, will have access to lots of debt or have it on their balance sheet. Um, so I do think that they could have, 
focused more on monetization and revenue from the beginning and, and thought how to, about how, to, how to integrate that. And I think that their valuation is really just a sign of the times. I mean, the bottom line is the, the period that we've lived through in the last four years is unprecedented in, in, in modern economic times. There, was, there has never been such a free flow of liquidity and capital in the markets. And what that means is when there's so much cash floating around, you, you lose just a lot of common sense principles. And when there's so much growth and there's so much liquidity and capital, you make these crazy assumptions of how things are going to continue to grow going forward. So if a company grew at, you know, two or, I don't know, 200 or 300% growth year over year, you just extrapolate that out because all you're thinking about is these good times and you make these inane projections. And, yeah, I mean, a $15 billion valuation for Facebook, which was higher than four at the time, is really probably pretty crazy. And I think there are a lot of reports right now that they're going to try to raise more money at less of a valuation than they did with that Microsoft money. So there is definitely that side that I think all valuations in the last three years were completely out of control, and I think that one of the things that we're going to face challenges with as entrepreneurs as um, angel investors and VCs are really going to come down on what they value companies as because if there's no liquidity in the market, you know, or it's a lot harder to get an exit, you're not going to necessarily be able to get those half a billion, billion, five billion dollar exits. You may have to settle for a 50 or 100 or 150 million dollar exit on your company. And the economics of that are tough on VCs as it is because they need these big wins in terms of aggregate numbers to carry their portfolio. But even besides that, you can't invest at a company at a pre-money valuation of $50 million and sell it at 75 and, and really... Well, let's, let's talk about that because, I mean, you, you've, you've raised money and we, we need to talk through some of that stuff, but... Um, sure, but re- real quick, though, I, I'm, happy, I'm happy to get into that. But the other point of Facebook is the following, which is if you just look at how people use Facebook, right? I mean, it's, it's, I think by all accounts, it's the ten, within the 10 most popular sites on the web and it probably has a user engagement that's unlike any site Right, maybe somebody goes to Google as many times a day for it, but it's for very different reasons. What I will say is, when you've built something that valuable, when you've really built a place that people live online, I mean, that's not something that you could take all the money in the world and do over. Like if you gave somebody right, if you gave the smartest people in the world a hundred billion dollars, they couldn't just build what Facebook did, and it's it's really quite a phenomena. So what I will say is, there's a little bit of an X factor, a qualitative factor, which is, yes, eventually they're going to have to get to profitability and they're going to want to stop raising money and they're going to want to be able to grow the company month over month and year over year on cash flow and profits and have that go up. And and what they've built is really pretty extraordinary. The fact that they've built an ecosystem and a community and a platform where people just spend so much time a day that is really valuable, and they've got some smart folks there, and they're going to we figure out how to make really money. Valuable. It what? should be really valuable, yeah. but we don't know for sure yet. It's not proven. No, but I mean, they could investors... The and they could find out they can't monetize. I mean, as an example, uh, you could say the same about YouTube, and Google's still having problems monetizing YouTube. Absolutely, but that's what investors make a bet on. They, they make a bet on what you're going to be able to do in the future. They're not making a bet on something that exists. You know, if you want, if you want a safe investment, go buy a piece of real estate, right? You're going to buy it for $10 million. It's going to cash for this well, amount. People, people you know exactly what's going to be. People might not agree with that in today's market either, but uh, that's enough. Yeah, yeah, that's, I mean, <laughs> in this market, all bets are off, right? I mean, so yeah. you may not be able to get your money back on U.S. Treasury. So if that's the case, then, you know, 
So, a question. Um, you raised money from the Lower My Bills guys. Now, those are obviously guys that know about lead generation. Um, did they raise money to start their company? Well, we didn't raise money from the Lower My Bills guys. One, one of our angel investors in our first round was Matt Coffin. So, just a, just a right. small point of distinction. It wasn't Lower My Bills. It was Matt Coffin as an individual who was <laughs> okay, the founder. Okay, but he's the guy that started Lower yeah. My Bills, right? And, yeah, they, they, raised, uh, they raised venture capital for Lower My Bills. So, they did start with, with, with an investment, did they? Yeah. I mean, I'm sure that there were individuals that started off out of their own pocket, but they they raised, um, I think, more than one round of capital. Oh, okay. Um, because my que- well, that's interesting because, I mean, they're a lead generation company, and my feeling is, and the, the guys that I've worked with that have been pretty successful, um, they build their sorts of companies just self-funded. And so I'm, I'm curious as to if, you, if you're around lead gen stuff and you have experience with the power of lead generation and how, how profitable that can be, be if it's done really well, why did you guys go and even start raising capital? Why not just self fund? So for us, in, for us in particular, so in, in, I'll, let me speak to it in general, and then I'll speak to us specifically. The reason that you um, fundraise, that you either take, you know, equity, and you know, you give away stock, and you give a portion of your company in exchange for money, or the reason you take out a bunch of debt is because you think that you can grow your company at a faster rate with that additional capital. And that for that, there will be a larger exit, right? Like you, you'll sell the company for more money. So even if you own less of it or if you have debt against it, that overall you as the founders will end up making more money. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, my dad, you know, was a, an immigrant and came to this country and basically built up like, you know, a small family business on cash and everything he ever did on cash flow. And I, I never even understood that, you know, that there were businesses that you could start until I was probably, in, you know, started my MBA program where it wasn't just that you made money and you saved a portion of that money and then reinvested in the business. So from our standpoint, yeah, I can't claim to say that I started off trying to do a lead generation business. I was 27 years old and I was running a consulting company and I would spend hours a day looking for documents online and I built up this really great repository of these digital documents on my own personal computer. And one night at 1 a.m., I thought to myself, shit, this really sucks. Like, it's really hard to find really quality documents. There should be something like YouTube or Flickr for documents. And that was, you know, literally probably three or four years ago. Um, and then when my consulting company started winding down in my last year of law school, I just created this schlocky little PowerPoint presentation that's on DocStock. I think it's called like the history of DocStock, which at the time was called DocBrary. That was kind of like Al Gore, right, when he went out with his presentation to save the save the environment and he turned it into his movie. Like I just started showing everyone this like stupid seven-slide presentation that I created with like MS Paint, cutting and pasting pictures from around the web. And most of the people said, hey, you know, that's a dumb idea. And some people said that's kind of interesting. And it was more the people that said they didn't like it that fueled and motivated me. And I didn't really start off trying to create a lead generation business. I just wanted to build a place where anybody could get any document fast, easy, and for free. And I thought that if I could get enough traffic to it and if it could be large enough, it would be disruptive and I could sell it for some amount of money. So personally, I started self-financing it. I was a student in law school. And I, at first I was working by myself, and then I met um, Alon Schwartz, who came on as our CTO and the co-founder of DocStock soon afterwards. And I maxed out my credit cards. I took all the monies I had saved up, which wasn't a lot, and I took out you know, some student loans. And I basically just tried to build DocStock with a firm overseas in India. 
And, you know, it was gaining traction, and people thought it was an interesting product, and then the space kind of started to heat up in general. Um, and for me to continue it, I, I had to raise money. So I raised an angel round of capital for us as soon as I finished law school. And then once you kind of do that, you're on a path where, you know, we started building the product without making money day one, and it kind of put us in this realm where, you know, we it necessitated us raising money, quite honestly. Um now, the difference was we built a product that started, you know, growing at a rate that was, I wouldn't say exponential, but it was different than most other websites, right? We're a year old now, and we have over 2 million unique visitors a month and getting close to 10 million page views a month. And so it, it's growing, and people are using it. And it gives us the opportunity when we have that scale to make enough money and profit off it that it, eventually it's going to be a good acquisition target. So once you raise money from angel investors or once you raise money from VCs, you're, you're on a very different path than running any other kind of business. This isn't a business I can pass down to my children or run for the next 10 years. I mean, we've got to build this business up in terms of its profitability and engagement and usage and traffic, and then really in the next five to six years, try to sell it off. So the I mean, answer, the one, answer, one of the things that Alfred said on the call with him, with him today, I was asking about, well, starting a new company, and, and he said, look, you've got to be passionate about it. You've got to be really excited, and it's got to be, because being an entrepreneur is hard. People make it out like business to be successful can be easy. It's not, and there's days that you don't want to come into the office at all, and so you've got to be really excited about it so that you can even you can drive through all that sort of stuff. Are you passionate about what you're doing? Oh, I'm unbelievably passionate, yeah. I mean, I, what, I can, what, I, what I can say is, it's the most challenging, toughest thing I've ever done so far in my life. And I have the distinct pleasure and reward of getting to say there's nothing else I'd rather be doing in this world. I mean, I can really say that. If th- there's so nothing... why do you want to sell it and why, why, not, why do you not want to grow it? Or is it because the Zappos guys, for example, have taken uh, a bunch of capital for, to, build, to build and grow Zappos, but they plan on building it as a long-term business. Um, whereas your, it just, your it, just de- it depends. It depends. It just kind of depends what's in your DNA. I mean, I don't. I'm not saying that I want to sell it today. Nor it's, what I'm basic. What I am saying is that um, I like building things, right? I don't know that I'd be a, the, the right CEO for a 50,000 person company and running in the head of the organization and all the bureaucracy. Maybe one day I'd like that, but I don't think I'd like it now. What I enjoy is the process of building something and breathing life into it. And so I do like the idea that we're trying to build a company, that we have a goal in the next couple years to try to get it to such a successful point in terms of its profitability and in terms of its um, engagement with people using it that we can sell it. And you also do it because you want to make the money, right? Like if you can build a company over five years and sell it for – X million or $100 million, and you have a significant portion of that, then as a founder, that that's a pretty good proposition because then it just opens the door to do whatever you want. Yeah. Yeah, sure. So the, 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 the short answer to your question is, honestly, I didn't start DocStock intending to raise money or have it be a business that was angel-backed or venture-backed. I was just trying to build this product, and I did it until I didn't have an ounce of money left. <laughs> And I just needed more capital to keep it going, and that's where it did. You know, maybe at some point in the future I'll be a, a repeat venture entrepreneur and raise lots of money and, and do that. But maybe the next business I do will be a totally cash flow business, and I'll put in a little bit of my own money. I'll just start making money, and we'll grow it that way. So why don't you tell us a little bit about Doc Stock and how it actually works? I mean, I, I gave you my 
summary from a quick glance in the beginning, but maybe um, you can tell us a little bit more in more detail what the what you're doing and what the plan is. Sure. So the the goal of what we're doing is to build out the largest repository of professional and productivity documents anywhere. And the value proposition is that you can get any document you need, a legal document, a business document, financial, educational, a creative document, fast, easy, and for free. And so conceptually, it's it's similar to YouTube in that it's user-generated content. People all over the world upload their Word, Excel, PowerPoint, PDF files. You can preview all those documents on our site, and then you can download them. And so the idea is that there's a destination that for any kind of document you need, for any reason, you can come get fast, easy, and for free. And the way that we monetize this is, one, we have a, we, uh, have a lot of professional content, right? So we're good at capturing what somebody's intent is. If somebody comes to our site and they're looking for an LLC operating agreement or a partnership agreement or an invoice template or a set of financials, we know a lot about what's going on in that person's life and what they're looking for. And so there's the opportunity to have really targeted advertising against those documents as well as do lead generation. So to say, hey, you're coming here for legal document X or financial document Y, do you need I mean, given that model, why would you even have advertising and why not just do straight lead generation? Because, I mean, you're going and you're, that's hugely, hugely, hugely valuable leads that you can generate there. Hugely valuable. Well, that's really what we're working on right now. So maybe you need to come over uh, to the DocStock office and help us out with it. <laughs> I don't know about that. But, um, I mean, uh, it's, it's, it's an impressive model because that's what people need is leads. And, I mean, if you're generating those kinds of leads for an LLC or whatever else, someone's looking for an incorporation document or for asset protection or um, who knows what, That's if, they, if they're looking for free documents online, um, they're, they're just getting started and they're right at the time where they need to make those decisions and that's a natural thing is to look online. Um, it sounds to me like you've got a phenomenally powerful business model. Well, I, I sure appreciate that. You know, we're still at the beginning phase of it. We spent most of the first year really just trying to build a, a good product with our revenue model in mind and, and, and grow the traffic. And now that those two things are going pretty well, we've pretty much switched um, or, or refocused all of our attention to uh, developing out as successfully a lead generation model as possible. And so um, that's really what we're working on right now. How does that work? So, I mean, let's say I'm looking to incorporate an LLC. And so, I mean, you effectively do become a competitor for Nolo Press? Well, Nolo, uh, I mean, Nolo Press is probably in a couple different businesses. Nolo Press is in the business of selling books and forms. And then they also, I think, have some professional directory. So I don't think we're a direct competitor. What, what I think that we are disruptive is, is anybody that's in the business of selling forms or templates or selling documents, we have the potential to disrupt their business. I mean, for me, it was, I always thought that that was kind of dumb, right, that people are selling information that's already out there. Like, I, I remember I would do search for just basic kind of simple legal documents. And I remember there was a, a, my best friend in law school one day, he was looking for um, uh, some kind of real estate agreement, like I, uh, an offer to purchase real estate, right? He, his mom wanted to put an offer on a condo, and he's looking for an offer to purchase real estate. And he put it in the Google, and he got all these kind of results, and there were some schlocky site that was selling it for $30 and he couldn't even preview the document he bought and he's like wow this is a crap this sucks like I wish I had seen and and for me that's just it's just a market ready to disrupt right like 
this information's out there. And if you have any friend that's a lawyer or any friend that's a professional, a lot of times you can just email them and ask them to send you a lot of these documents that you may need. But but not everyone has that friend, right? And there's nothing really proprietary about this information. I mean, the, there's a lot of value. Think of all the valuable documents that are on your computer, right, that are sitting on your PC or laptop. Now, what if... I have expensive lawyers sending me mine, so I'd, I'd rather have the friend sending me. But, that, I mean, that raises the question, though. Um, you may It's fine to put all these documents up there, but how do you know that, what kind of quality they are? Well, there's two things. One is um, there's you can see from the interaction on the site and from the community what's most viewed, what's most downloaded, what's highest rated, what's commented on, so you can get a sense from how people are interacting with these documents on DocStock what they find valuable. And the second thing is it's, it's really at your own discretion. We're not making a claim, at least not overall. Like We're starting to do more editorial things and try to pull out and emphasize key content. So you'll see more of that on DocStock over the next year. But what we're, we're not trying to say, like, you should use this instead of this or this. It's just here's a repository. You can get anything you need fast, easy, and for free. And we've built in metrics in the product so you can see what other people like. And the fact is, you know, I, I often knew what kind of LLC operating agreement I was looking for. So if I saw four of them, I could say this is the one I want because it's got these clauses. Now, maybe not everybody has that, but a, a lot of people are more discerning when it comes to their documentation than you may realize. Um, the, the, the community feedback would help. I mean, I'd be obviously, if you look at the, the, the community feedback on, on YouTube videos, um, they're pretty famous for not being very very helpful, but um, in your stuff, I could imagine there'd be guys reading some of those and maybe even attorneys just going out and looking at stuff, and I can, I can see them posting, and that would give you some point of reference. So Yeah, absolutely. And, and, not, every do- and not every document is, is a legal document, right? Like, you may just need a template to do a, a, a basketball certificate, right? You know, your son or daughter is in a basketball league, and you want a certificate with a basketball on it. To give to all the people, do you need? Do you really need a bunch of people commenting on that document or attorney to tell you what's good? No, you're going to look at it and see what you like. You may be looking for a book in the public domain like Tom Sawyer or Huckleberry Finn. You may want a PowerPoint presentation for a kindergartner teacher that he or she could use to teach on ABCs or on counting. So certainly a portion of our documents, and specifically legal documents, the more vetting there is, the more editorial review there is, the more there is from the community is a huge value add. And there's also a large portion of our content where people are quite capable of discerning just from looking at it whether it's something they want or not. So um, the, the obvious question comes up that happens with all these. How do you keep porn out? Honestly, we don't get a lot of it. Uh, you know, on occasion, I think I've seen one or two documents in the last year and we, we just deleted it. I think because people know that we're a professional site, we, we just really don't get it. Sometimes we get PowerPoints with, you know, a little bit more risque photos, and I, I generally like those, so I, you know, sometimes I look at them myself. But we don't really ever get nudity or pornography, and if that's ever in the site, like, we'll just take it out. Do you have any kind of collaborative filtering so that people can let you know if there's a problem? Do you, like, report this document? or Yeah, on every like single document page, there's a link to flag a document for any number of reasons. And so what percentage of your documents end up getting flagged for having problems and have to be removed? Very few. Very few. That's just the audience. See, now that's that's another sign that as a lead generation model, what you've got is incredibly powerful because you're showing the quality of the traffic that you've got there. So tell me, um, like let's say I'm, I'm looking at a document and it's how to, how to form an LLC and um, 
how do you capture my information and pass that on as a, as a lead and sell it? That's what we're working and integrating in now. So that's what will be in the site on the first year. So part of, part of it is I'll defer your question because some of it's a little confidential, and part of it is I'll defer it just because um, we don't have it done yet. But what I can say is if, if you go to the site after January 1st, you'll basically see it in there. All right. Yeah, well, my, 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 my one piece of feedback on that would be is um, as you're testing the implementation of it, I'd suggest you should be more aggressive rather than less and uh, scale it back until you see what your users are happy with. I, I, that's generally the way I've done most things. My, my motto in life is um, ask for forgiveness, not permission. <laughs> and, you know, uh, got, you, you, I mean, if you've got 2 million uniques a month, you, you can easily check your user engagement on the site. Um, and monitor that very, very closely, and then and then test it. Because um, yeah, you, I, 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 by what you're describing to me, you can be sitting on an absolute absolute gold mine. You've got you could have the uh, the Google AdWords of uh, of documents and lead generation. Well, thanks. You know, it, it's it's basically what we we're saying earlier. There's a balance, right? I mean, we've got users and people who use the site, and we want to build a product that's engaging and useful and helpful to them, and then we want to make money. And so, my nature is probably a little bit more of. Uh, the LA guy, right? The deal maker, trying to figure out how and where to make money and build a sustainable business. And then, um, I, I definitely want to build as valuable and great a product as possible. But I agree. I mean, our responsibility to all the employees and to the shareholders is to build a really thriving and profitable business. And so we'll test anything and everything we need to to figure out what's the best way that we can add value and make money for adding that value. Yeah, yeah, no, it makes it makes a lot of sense. Um, what else can you tell us about the model? I mean, is, is are there, what, what, what is not considered a document? Is a picture a document? Is a video a document? Like, where's the limit? An audio file? Probably it's what you just said. I mean, audio files aren't documents and uh, videos aren't documents. If, if something can live within a document and it makes sense, then there are. I mean, sometimes people just upload PowerPoints just to pictures, but they're cool. They're neat presentations, right? Sometimes people will upload a presentation that's, you know, the... 15 strangest bus stations in the world. Is that really a document or is it a collection of pictures? I, I don't know, but I, I like, I've enjoyed going through that presentation. Now, are we, you know, is there going <laughs> to be some bus station lead generator that we're going to sell those lead to? No. But it, it's interesting. It's, it's interesting content that people like. It's a lot of what people look for on the web. And, and so that's a portion of our content. It's certainly not the majority, but it's there. So do you then become a repository for uh, sites that are uh, being promoted on Dig, and so you then have to deal with the Dig effect? Uh, yeah, we've had, we've had we've had a we've been on the front page of Dig a lot. I mean, I I I've, I love Dig. I think it's a great site. I've I've gone to it for years to, to read and get alternative sources of news. Uh, and I'm a really active Dig user myself. I, I think you interviewed Andy Sorsini. He's a good friend of mine, and we met online I think two years ago. Um, and I, I'm a really active member of that community. I just really like it. I think it's really fun. And a lot of our content has ended up on, you know, being highlighted not only in Dig but on Reddit and StumbleUpon and other sites. And be, because we're a content aggregator and because we deal in so many different topics, not just legal, business, and financial, our, our content has a way of finding itself all over the web. And we get a lot of people linking to us from blogs, and we get a lot of, you know, a lot of times our content gets promoted in social media. The other thing that we're really well known for is a lot of sites use us to embed documents. So if you go to TechCrunch or Huffington Post 
or Chicago Tribune, they'll take documents that are on our site. A lot of times they'll upload the documents there for the specific purpose of doing this. And then in that. Is that, so that's you guys that are the ones that are hosting those, is it? Yeah. So the, the, the basic idea is, you know, I'm on meetinnovators.com and I want to show off this press release. Instead of having a link to say, click here to see this PDF of this press release, you can just preview that document right there on your site. And the value is it's just a, an, an interesting, better viewing experience for your users. It's not a page view that it, no one leaves your site. And it's a lot of times just a better way to share documents. Not always, but, you know, for example, when uh, the Senate bill, the Senate bailout bill came out, right, um, for the proposed bill for the United States Congress to bail out, you know, $700 billion for private industry, which is crazy, uh, Huffington Post ran a story on it, and they embedded the bailout bill using DocStock. When the um, California Supreme Court originally passed the ban um, against gay marriage, basically saying we're allowing gay marriage, although it's now gone overturned in Proposition 8. Uh, Chicago Tribune ran a story, and they put that dis- court decision from the California Supreme Court in their post using DocStock. And so we provide a platform that if you're trying to share or promote or have documents uh, be consumed by the public, we provide a variety of tools, and that being one of the most popular ones, to allow you to do that. So that leads into my question then. Um, how do you get your traffic? I mean, you're 2 million uniques a month. Where did, you, where did you start from nothing to get to that? The traffic really comes from you know, three, three main areas. I mean, I, I, I've got this whole philosophy on how you build traffic on the web. I'm, I'm happy to go over that with you. But uh, we get traffic. Yeah, please do. Sure. So, but we, you know, we, get, we basically get traffic that people direct come to the site. Uh, we get traffic from a lot of referral sites. So, you know, right, I think right now we're in uh, one of our documents is embedded in a TechCrunch post that Eric Schoenfeld wrote about, you know, are uh, iPhones better than Blackberries? And people see that and they click through to our site. Uh, we'll get traffic in a lot of just blogs in general that link back to us. Uh, we'll get, obviously, people coming to DocStock looking for documents. And then also our documents get indexed in search engines. So, for example, if you go to Google, and you type in LLC operating agreement, we're the, we're the first result, the first natural result, not a paid result, in Google for LLC operating agreement. So a lot of our traffic comes from natural search. And to your earlier point, that is the power, right, is that you know, imagine how valuable that is for a potential attorney to have the first natural spot for LLC operating agreement. It just so happens to be a document that I uploaded a long time I'm ago. I'm doing a search on LLC operating document. What is the is – it, is it a paid ad or a, a natural search? Uh, if you just – I think the term is LLC operating agreement. And if you put that in, we should be the first result. Okay, yep, I see it. And so have you spent a lot of time on search engine optimization for the site? We spend a lot of time building a good product, and we, we have the fortune of dealing in a file type that's text. So it's, in general, very easily crawled. It's, it's a lot harder, obviously, for a search engine to crawl audio or video or pictures. How do you do that? Um, we're having to deal in, in content that, that search engines can easily crawl. And, you know, for example, one of Google's missions is that they want to bring offline content online. So part of what we're tapping into is we're unlocking all these really valuable documents that have laid dormant and hidden on people's 
computers. And so it's a really symbiotic relationship. You know, you upload your document to DocStop because you want a way to really easily publish and share it. You want a way to get it out there to the world. You want to either get a marketing benefit from it and have people see your content or refer back to your site, or you just want to help build a large repository of content like the Wikipedia effect. And then Google and Yahoo and all their search engines will crawl through all sides and say, aha, here's a piece of content we've never seen before and it's interesting and valuable and cool, and it gets indexed in their results. I actually think that's the exact uh, phrase that the search engine crawlers make. They go, ha-ha, or, or so I've been told. Dude, you're a dork. Um, <laughs> I mean, you dork. have not the slightest idea. <laughs> big, big so, um, dork. Are you familiar with a company called... Why do you think I started an internet startup, dude? It's the one... It's the, it's the one thing you can do that being a... Like, the bigger dork you are, the more, you know, the more cool you are. Yeah, to improve your social life. You want to be able to go out to a bar and say, yeah, hey, you just, I'm a computer geek. You get to literally wear a shirt like, I'm the biggest dork, and... You're just the most popular person in the room. Yeah, no, totally. Um, have you heard of a company called Viewpoints Network? I have not. Uh, it's started by a guy named Matt. Um, I've forgotten his last name. I interviewed him a, a while ago. Um, he used to run Cool Savings, which is a, a lead generation site. His company, Viewpoints Network, is a little bit like ePinions, um, but the, it's, it's with a lot of social networking stuff built in, so it's a lot about sharing opinions on things. Um, his his aim and intent is actually basically identical to yours in that he's he's using his content to do lead generation. But he's come from the lead generation community already, so he really understands lead generation, like really, really in-depth. Great. I'd love an introduction. Yeah, so he might be someone that, that would help to talk to you. Um, do you think your audience would find it really interesting if we just talked about all the people that we should meet right now? No, probably not. <laughs> probably not. <laughs> um, but I can tell you, I, you know, I'll hook you up with him later. Um so in terms of your traffic, now you mentioned, and this is an interesting point, um, you mentioned you, you, you're friends with Andy. I, I interviewed Andy the other day, and we just published it, and it was, I, I, I think, one of the more interesting interviews I've published. Um, they obviously, the dig guys have this thing going on with, um, are you getting paid to do digs and all this sort of stuff? Um, so first of all, let me ask you, are, are you on the top 1,000 dig rankings? I, I don't know. I mean, I... Uh... I, the bottom line is I don't know. I've had I have a pretty high percentage of stories hitting the front page. I think I've submitted like a hundred stories, and maybe thirty or forty percent of them hit. So probably compared to other people, I'm doing pretty good. So I, I've never been approached by anyone asking me to. Maybe I'm just not good enough, right? Maybe other people are, but I never got approached. So you plugged into this. It's, you know, I'm talking with Andy. I I, I didn't realize it, but these guys are, are, are communicating quite a lot about stories and what's going on and, and, and working to get content up to the front page. I mean, they, you know, it's, it's what they spend a lot of their time on. Are you, are you tied into that network? I'm tied into our networks, yeah. I mean, I have a lot of friends from Dig and other social sites and Twitter on my chat, and, you know, they'll ping me throughout the day and say, hey, did you see, you know, this story broke or um, this is what's going on or I'm doing this event. I mean, it, it, that's what kind of is cool is that I, I've made friends all over the world just by getting into these communities. And, you know, I, I'm honestly, I, I did it at first. I had been, I had been like for Dig, for example. I had read Dig for years, and I really just liked it as an alternative source of news where you could. I find, love, dude. I mean, yeah. it brings out the 13-year-old immature boy in all of us. I mean, I yeah, I, I like that, and it also was just it, there was that for sure. And also, what I really liked about it too is it just there were news stories that you wouldn't see on you know CNN.com or the Drudge Report or Huffington. You know, you would just 
it was a little bit they, they would catch a lot of times that you know you know the user community would catch stories that were interesting that you know they didn't see like right like I'm Jewish and I grew up in LA but sometimes they'd have you know stories from you know by the way you fit the profile of a lot of entrepreneurs I, I'm seeing like seventy percent of entrepreneurs are Jewish. I'm a little bit stunned at how many there are. Yeah, I think it has something to do with the DNA of like your parents, right? They just uh, they uh, they you, they both love and support you, but you're always like going after their approval, so you're just trying to go for the biggest win possible. You know, I don't and know. I, I've noticed. I mean, I just noticed. I'm probably going to write about it sometime, like the ten trends I've noticed. But that's that's one of them. Um, a lot of a lot of entrepreneurs, the ones that are successful, have, have uh, gotten into Ayn Rand. Um, there's, a, there's, a, there's a bunch of them, but that's, yeah. So you're, yeah. You know, you're, I mean, I, I read all her stuff in college. I love that I, I, I've got her books. I, I think there is something, you know, that's, that's passed on culturally, right? I mean, for example, my I never saw my dad work for somebody. He just always worked for himself and tried to build up, like, a living for his family and, and take care of us all, and it makes an impression upon you. You know, when, when you don't see your parents going to work every day, you, you have a different philosophy of how you make money and how you grow yourself professionally and how you provide for your family. And so I, I think it's just a matter of, you know, it's it's a relatively small community in numbers compared to a lot of a lot of other, you know, just ethnicities. Yeah, but I mean, in, in entrepreneurship, the Jewish community is way overrepresented. Over I'm not Jewish, and I have no contact with the religion at all. I just keep noticing as as I move up in business that, man, there's, there's, real, there's a lot of them. So, like, yeah. Fascinating stuff, very impressive for, for, a, for a small group. They're, they're, it's, uh, it's very well done. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> I won't certainly try to take uh, claim or things from no, my entire not, ethnicity no, religion, but no, I mean a, a large percentage of my list is Jewish. Anyway, um, so in terms of, of traffic, so you, you, you're tied into the dig community. Is that helping you to promote your site? Oh yeah, sure. I mean, wh- really, what it comes down to is people just get to know you and, and like you. So there'll be a lot of just you know because people know me. Um, as an active contributor to the community and, you know, I'll take a look out for stories that I like from people that I think, in, you know, will submit cool, interesting things. And when I do like the stuff they submit, I'll dig it and I'll leave comment on people's posts. I mean, it, it, it's really just a very human thing, right? Like if somebody sees me leaving a bunch of comments on their dig stories and engaging with them and reaching out to them, they do the same to you. And so they're like, oh, who's this guy, Jason? And what's this site, Docstock? And they'll go there and they'll play around with it. And so I'm sure that, you know, by me so being... You're, you're the CEO of a company that you, you hope to be able to turn around and sell for a billion dollars, right? These You're interacting with a bunch of 15-year-old kids that are playing around on Dig. Uh, sure, for like some portion of my week, yeah. Just like some people will make, you know, model airplanes and other people will go play basketball and other people will... You know, go to movies is kind of what you enjoy doing. I mean, it's not the totality of what I do in my free time, but the fact is, I, I kind of am an internet geek, and I really enjoy diving into other people's products. Both one because it gives me a better sense of what builds a good product and what builds a good community, and two, I just kind of like it, right? Like, I it kind of if I'm asking people to get engaged and use the doc stock experience and I'm not someone that does anything like that on the web, it's it's a little hypocritical, right? You know what I mean? It's it's a little bit more authentic to ask other people to do that which you like and do yourself. Yeah, no, I mean and, and that's impressive. So I mean your your ties and connections into the traffic driving community has really helped you grow your company. I mean that's yeah, I mean look when, a little bit of when, more when we the the day that the day that Doc Stock went live, like one of our pieces of content made the front page of Dig. 
and our site got shut down for 20 minutes for it. I mean, that was all of a sudden a lot of people saw the site that nobody else had. So it's it's not a really significant portion of our traffic anymore. But, yeah, when we first started out and you're trying to figure out a way to get people to know about you on, you know, in any and all way and you don't have a budget, the fact that you're tapped into a social media community and you know a lot of people that are evangelizers on the web and that blog and use social media sites and get the word out virally, it's it's a really big deal. And, look, I, I'm not trying to suggest that I just do this all out of, like, altruism. Like, I obviously really threw myself into figuring out how people drive traffic on the web to get as many people knowing about DocSoc as possible. Why, why do you do that and not have, like, you know, four people in your team uh, focused on doing that? That's a good question. Well, part of it is what I just told you. I mean, I, I enjoy doing it. I, I, don't, I don't really do this all as a business. I mean, part of it is I just enjoy spending some of my incremental free time at, you know, one or two in the morning when I'm bleary-eyed from doing work just playing around on Internet sites. I, I enjoy it. I like it. Uh, the other thing I can say is, it's kind of like anything else where you got to do it for the right reasons. Meaning, if you just go on one of these social sites and your only goal is to promote yourself, no, obviously that's going to show up. It, it, it comes it comes out over time, right? Like people people are smart and they catch on, and whether it's in person or over the phone or on IM or in, or in chat, like. They kind of figure out your intentions. And so you can't just, you know, that's why you can't, like a big company, you can't just hire people to go do this. It doesn't work. Like maybe one time you can get one story to do well in one social network, but it's not sustainable over time. So my approach is I, I like these communities. I like these people. I want to promote DocStock. I don't see any of them as antithetical to each other. And I... Did they ever come to you and say, dude, you, you're asking me to promote this stock stock story again, but look, you are the CEO and you've obviously got a vested interest in this. And I mean, we, we're doing this for free and we're not getting paid, but you're going to, you've got a financial incentive here, so I can't promote it. Do they ever say that or it's just like no big deal? I can honestly tell you, like, I haven't got that reaction that much because I, I think if the only time people ever heard from me was asking for help, and on my stuff, and I didn't, you know, promote other stuff, nor did I offer to help people back in return with whatever they were interested in. Yeah, I mean, I would kind of just be a douche, right? <laughs> and no matter what it is, like, forget, like, uh, forget social web. Like, if you're just always trying to promote yourself and you never try to help other people with their stuff or you never have any other interest in trying to promote yourself, you're kind of like the guy everyone wants to stay away from. And so, so how does like, that work? You you want help. So some guy says, hey, dude, can you help me um, promote these three stories? So you go and then vote on them, and he goes and, and sends that out to everyone else. Is that is that how it works, and then you kind of reciprocate later for him later on, or how does that actually happen? I mean, I don't really know how it works. I just, uh, I'll be on, you know, I'll, I'll be on Dig, and there'll be, or different social sites, and there'll be different people I see that submit stories that I like their content, and so I'll probably pay more attention to it, and I'll, I'll go check it, and... Every once in a while, somebody will send me an email link like, hey, I thought this was a cool story, or they'll shoot me an IM, and I, if I think it's a cool, interesting story that adds value to the community, I'll, like, I'll check it out if i got time, right? I mean, it's relatively 
So you getting let's so so someone says, hey, you know, here's this story. Can you can you go dig it? That's getting one vote from you. I mean, that's a lot of work to go and send a, an IM to you to get one vote. Or does that get leveraged because then your friends are likely to check it out because you voted for, it and then it increases exponentially? Is that? I, I'm, I'm sure that's part of it, right? I mean, if there's there's probably some people that watch out for the stuff that I do on different social networks, and if if I do it, maybe other people will follow, just like other people will too. So then, and so how many? Let's say you had a story that you wanted to promote. Let's assume that it's not doc stock related. How do? You, how many people are you talking to about that? To, and, and what are you, are you emailing them? Are you IMing them? Like, how does that actually work? Well, I I, I just kind of don't. Like, when we when I first when the when we first launched, I, I put in one or two things, and then I just kind of drew a line. I'm like, for what you're saying, I, I just I don't really submit doc stock stuff. Like, if people know me and they do it because they like me personally or they like the company, that's great. And like any any help or notoriety that anyone wants to do, like I'm, I'm very thankful for it. But I don't, I don't put in my own stuff into social media. I just kind of draw the line there, or else I think people will get a little annoyed. So you, you, you actually wouldn't promote. You would never uh, submit a story of anything doc stock related. I typically, through my own, I typically don't. I mean, if there's like, you know, if there was like some breaking document I got, you know, like, uh, I don't know if there was like, <laughs> I found out that, you know, George Bush, you know, knew for a fact there were no weapons of mass destruction in Iraq and there was a report written up about this and I could get the document on DocSoc and get it all over the web. Like, yeah, sure, I do that. That'd be really cool, right? Like, I just would want everybody in the world to know about this really valuable piece of content that I found that I put on DocSoc. But, no, for the most part, I, I just don't, you know. I mean, there's also, like, the little fact, right, that, like, I got a company to run. <laughs> there's 13 or 14 employees here. I don't really spend most of my time on on doing those. So I don't understand, then, how, how is uh, the, the relationships you have with the Dig and Reddit and the other communities helping promote DocStop? Is it just because they know who you are and they're like, oh, that's Jason's stuff and I'll give that an extra extra bump? Or how does yeah, that probably. You know, I mean, like late night when I'm here in the office and I just play around in those communities and I'm active and I go leave blog posts, it's, it's the same philosophy of, you know, I, I, I spend a lot of time just reading other people's blogs. I mean, it eats into my time, right? I mean, this isn't stuff that I do during the business day, but, you know, 11, 12 o'clock at night, 1 a.m., when other people are, you know, going out or drinking or partying, like a lot of times I'll just take those hours to surf the web and look for other people's blogs and I'll leave comments on their blogs or share their posts with other people I know or I'll re-blog on my blog about what they're doing. And, you know, people just kind of take notice and they're thankful and they check out what you do. And I, I can't say for sure what the incremental value is, but I know well, How people... many times have you, um, have you been on the front page of Deke? I don't know. Probably, probably more than like half a dozen, I would guess. For six times. Yeah. And what about like on Reddit or some of these others? I mean, we get we get traffic from those sites. Like, if you look at our if you look at our traffic at the end of the month, like we'll get traffic from uh, lots of social media sites. So it's getting out there. I mean, remember what we have is is a content aggregator. We're just dealing with lots of different content. You know, so it's. You know, a, a popular site in the way that, you know, a Huffington Post is or, you know, uh, an Engadget. The only difference is we're dealing in such a wide variety of, of content that it could get on there for any kind of number of things. But do you think that it would you would be getting on there if you weren't networking in the community? Probably not as much, right? Just like you wouldn't get as many blog posts if I wasn't networking with bloggers. I mean, the fact is people 
will re- link back to DocSoc because they see me as, as an active blogger. So it's more about almost brand recognition and knowing who you are and then and then uh, and it's coming from that. Well, I mean, it, it, I think a lot of it is just honestly authenticity. People people just kind of take the other people that are good folks and try to help them out. I mean, I, I don't I, – I really honestly don't claim to be the smartest or the best CEO. What I can say is I genuinely try to, like, you know, help out whomever I can when I can. I'm not always successful at it, but whether it's my employees here in the office or whether it's people that come asking me for advice on how to raise money or start a business or whether it's a 15-year-old kid that reaches me out of a chat and asks me to read some article that hears – you know, that he wrote, like, I'm generally just trying to be like a nice guy. You know, I think in, in the end, if you are trying to be nice and good to most people, you know, it, it eventually, like, it's just a better way to live. Like, you're happier, and it probably comes back on the end. And and so, the, honestly, the best answer that I can give you is whether it's in social media, whether it's on the blogosphere, whether it's in trying to, you know, raise money, if you're just kind of down to earth and humble and not full of shit, and tell people what you think you can and can't do. It's not necessarily you're always going to get what you want, but I think people just respond to you a whole lot better. Um, we've talked about a lot of stuff. Is there anything that we haven't talked about you want to cover? Um, probably just, I mean, what I'd say is there. I think there are a couple really neat things on DocSoc that we've we've done recently that I would just love anyone to know about. It's, we really try to make it as easy as possible to help get your documents online. Um, and so, look, I know most people are not going to share their documents, just like most people aren't going to upload a video to YouTube or add a photo to Flickr. I mean, most user-generated content sites have less than 1% of people contributing, and that's why we're dealing in scale. And so the thing that, you know, what I'll often say to folks is think of all the valuable documents you have on your computer, right? Now, what if all of us started sharing all these documents? And what a lot of people will say back is, well, why would I want to share my documents? And the bottom line is you may not. <laughs> there are a whole lot of people that aren't going to share their documents. But but there are some that are going to, and they're going to do it, one, because they want to, you know, uh, promote their content, the two, because they want to promote their business or service or website, three, because they want to just help contribute to the largest repository, you know, and if you talk to enough folks, they really get it out there. And, and, and part of it, too, is if you just make the process easy for people. And so really what we're, what we're trying to do is there are just billions and billions of these invaluable assets that live in document forms, Word, Excel, PowerPoint, PDF, that are just hidden Literally, they're trapped away on all these computers, and we're trying to free it all up. And, and part of what we've done is just made the process of publishing these documents to the world un- unbelievably easy. So you can go to DocStock, and the upload process there is seamless, and it's sexy, and it's cool, and you can select multiple documents and do all of that. You can email any documents in DocStock. So one thing that you can do that I think is awesome is that any time you get an attachment in email, if it's something you want to share, just you can forward it to uploads at DocStock, or you can select any document on your computer and just forward as an attachment to uploads at DocStock, and it's just there, published for all the world to share. You can download this application that we have called DocStock Sync that's going to automatically scan your entire hard drive or any folder and upload all those documents, and you can either set them to upload publicly so all the world can share them, or you can set them privately so you can just use DocStock as your personal online file storage for documents. 
Uh, and so we've just provided all these really easy ways. And, and, and generally what I find is that when somebody just goes through that process, right, that they just like, all right, I'll try uploading a couple of documents, and they find it to be really easy and painless, and then they come back and check the site a week later, and they see that their document got, you know, a couple hundred, if not a couple thousand views, and it was downloaded, and some people left comments. It, there's kind of an aha moment. It's like, oh, I get it. Like, I can really easily take content I have and share it with the world and then find other people's content. And and, and that's what we're trying to do. And on the base level, we're, we're building no, out. No, what's the motivation for someone to do that? I mean, I'll send my stuff, share my stuff where they run for free, like when there's the risk of uh, having all my confidential data compromised. So, yeah, so first of all, a lot of documents you have have nothing to do with your confidential data. And I'm not suggesting that you should upload your confidential data. Like, I don't think anyone should. That's not the point. But there are probably a lot of documents that you use or have on your personal computer that are really valuable and helpful to a lot of folks uh, that, that aren't confidential at all. And the reason you do it is, one, because on all of those documents, there are links back to your websites that you can put on, right? Like, you can just upload your document under what we call a profile view and, Anyone who sees these documents can automatically, you know, click over to your site. Two, a lot of times you're trying to promote that piece of content itself. So it might be a research. So you're saying I could, like, put Media Innovators interviews up there? Yeah, of course. You could upload, you know, 500 documents and then have links on all those documents back to your website, and it's just free referral traffic. The other thing is, you know, I gave you the example. Are they no-follow links or are they follow links? They are no-follow. They are no follow. We, well, I think we've done both, but the, for, they are no follow. So you're not getting the SEO juice from it right now, but you still are getting referral traffic. The other thing is that it helps you rank for natural search, right? So you can take a bunch of documents and upload them to DocStock, and you may be the person at the top of search engines for a term that's really important to you. So I don't know, maybe you're, you know, maybe you're Joe the plumber, right? And, and you want to make sure, like, when somebody types in Joe the plumber, to Google that you're the one that comes up. And so you upload your PDF of, hi, I'm Joe the Plumber. <laughs> and, you know, all of a sudden now when somebody clicks on that link in a search engine, it, it, it takes to a page that's all about you. And so yeah, it's, you, it's, might, you might outrank like Joe's original site. So that may be not such a benefit as well, though, wouldn't it? I mean, it just depends. It, it depends. Search engines are very smart, and they, they have a way of figuring out what's the most valuable for a person. I, you know, I... If you are promoting Meet Innovators and you upload documents to DocStock and called Meet Innovators, we're not going to outrank your site. Search engines yeah. are, are smart. They know that you are the primary source. But you may start to rank for all sorts of terms just by uploading your documents and then having a natural search lead to one of your pages. Um, okay. Anything you wanna, else you want to cover that we haven't mentioned? Uh, no. I, I think that was... We think we've got a lot of time. I'm happy to answer any other questions. No, I think we're done. Okay. All right, Jason. Well, thanks very much for your time. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate it.